0: CHAPTER Twenty-One OF THE LAST OF THE VIKINGS BY JOHANN BOYER TRANSLATED BY JESSE Mure. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN Twenty-One. THE SEABIRDS WERE FLYING EASTWARD. CRYSTAVER WAS OUT ON THE BANKS AGAIN, AND HE WATCHED THEM AS THEY FLEW. HE FELT DRAWN IN THE SAME DIRECTION. WHEN HE CLOSED HIS EYES HE SEEMED TO HAVE AN INDISTINCT FEELING WITH THE SHOALS OF FISH THAT HAD TO GO SOMEWHERE OR OTHER. He had a longing to go eastward, too. He said nothing to anyone, but something he felt he must do. It was snowing, but there was no wind, and the white snow was piled high on the roofs of the houses, and the ships in the harbour were unrecognisable. It snowed day and night. One evening Kristavr called Peter Susansa outside, and they talked for a little while in low voices then kristavr brought his men together down by their boat and later in the evening there were a few things to be carried on board from the hut the crew of the seal was going to bed early to-night the snow continued to fall the waves fell heavily and in the absence of wind the islands and mountains seemed to be lying listening the lights went out and the station slept and the snow fell more heavily but softly and silently it filled the roads and piled itself upon roofs and up against walls and transformed flights of steps into hill slopes boats and ships lay so still that the snow rose high upon the tops of masts on sternpost bowsprit and rowlocks the harbour lights shone upon ropes and tackle embroidered over with white the heavy galleasses and nordland sloops had their rigging trimmed with white lace and grew young and dainty-looking everything was white and maidenly and slender forms stood erect in the light of the lanterns as if clothed in bridal garments these sea-ploughs which smelled of oil and tar and fish were decorating themselves and becoming more and more fairy-like mastheads became like church spires and only waited for some silver bell to sound and consecrate the whole. Now and then there was a splash in the water beside the quay. It was snow falling from a sloping roof. There the white snow and the grey salt North Sea met. The snow lay floating for a moment still white, and then became greyer and grayer as it sank and was consumed. A little after midnight something moved up on the island, Men were coming through the darkness, one after another. It was Christaver and his men. They walked noiselessly, carrying a sack containing bedding under each arm. Not a word was uttered. Their provision chests were already in the boat, and now it was for them to get on board. They rowed the little boat out by forcing their hands through the water, for an oar may creak. The seal looked like a ferry boat. They clambered cautiously abroad. The thing was to get away unseen and unheard. It was one thing to move themselves, but quite another thing to have a few hundred boats in their wake. Peter Sansa was the only man who knew about their flight. As they raised the anchor, the boat began to shake off her finery, showering it down upon the 6 southwesters. The boat itself was half full of snow, but that could be shoveled out later. The oars were carefully shipped, but first of all broad woolen gloves were laid in the rowlocks, in order that the rowing should be noiseless. The boat began to move past ships with yellow lanterns on their masts, which showed that the seals still had some finery in her rigging. As they moved farther out, the oars worked harder, but at last the men ceased rowing. Then the snow was shoveled out with buckets and bailers, and finally they had time to consider the wind and weather. They were going east wind there was none and the sea and current were contrary well they meant to go somewhere eastward so they would have to row and they rowed. three pairs of oars dipped into the water six men two and two sitting side by side bent forward and backward forward and backward their heads in their southwesters moving in curves two and two they grew warm the southwesters had to come off the boat was heavy and so were the oars and the current was against them pull away the headman himself had to row now and again he turned his head to look in the direction in which they were rowing to take his bearings by some light or other the hours passed but it was still dark the time of blistered hands was over for Losh, and they were now as hard as horn But as the hours passed, there was a rushing sound in his ears, and his temples throbbed. His wet feet were not exactly comfortable in his boots. When would they be able to take breath? No one knew. The headman wanted to go east, and it might be that they would still be sitting here rowing this time tomorrow. It would be as the headman decided. No one spoke a word, no one thought a thought any longer. It was only arms that toiled legs that were stiffly strained, and backs that ached, they were all transformed into rowing-machines. They rowed on. The boat was forced on against the current, past headlands, bays and rocks against which the waves broke and foamed. It was not snowing now, but the sky was dark with heavy clouds, between which were gleams of green and yellow, and the same darkness and light were faintly reflected in the sea. Then came a stir in the sky, the clouds began to move, and became men, animals, fishermen in boats, old women hastening along with shawls over their heads, children riding upon fish, all of them toward a yellow and green fire, and over the sea there was the same commotion. The sky soon became a world of evil, a realm of live goblins, and on the sea below there was nothing but a boat with some fishermen in it at which all these yellow and grey faces were glaring. The same faces appeared in the sea and surrounded the boat, and both the sky and the sea became dark with monsters. Where were the men going? That even Kristaver did not know. He was only listening to a mysterious voice, eastward. He felt the compass needle pointing eastward he had followed such indications before and had not regretted it but he saw the sinister look of the sky and sea and felt that he was fleeing from what a terror with many faces followed in his wake it was poverty it was not the first time that it pursued a fishing-boat and that the men rowed for their lives to escape from it in front of them there was hope safety somewhere or other and what they had to do was to exert themselves and row. They rowed on. The lights below the high snowfields of the Lofoten wall grew pale, the sea grew lighter, and the fantastic forms in the sky dispersed or sank into the sea again. In a bay they recognized Kabelvog with its many lights. They saw Great Molla with its church spire rising out of the sea and pointing heavenward. It grew lighter and became day in front and to the east they saw ranges of mountains with deep fjords and sounds and for the rest of the west fjord yellow and gray beneath the yellow and gray sky and beyond these miles of sea a line of mountains the mainland what then where were they going here kristaver sprang upon the thwart and looked about him and then held up his hand all the oars stopped just as they were about to dip into the water and nothing was heard but the lapping of the ripples against the bow. Kristaver saw first the crowd of boats coming out from and Svolvar. It looked as if some piece of news had made them turn out, and they were hurrying. They reminded one of firemen hastening to put out a fire. After them came steamers, and they went in the same direction and passed the boats. Where were they going? What is it? asked henry rabben standing up on the same thwart kristavr was now looking at something else a motley cloud of birds came into view far out at sea it must have been beyond the bank but the spouting of a whale could be both heard and seen in these regions where there are whales there are herring and where there are herring there are cod they were going eastward but shoals must have gone before, since a fisherman had turned out already. The shoals driven by the whale could not turn, and had to go into a fjord. All the men on the seal were standing on thwarts to gaze. What is it? Oh, look there! What is it? Kristaver did not utter a word. Row, he said at last, jumping down to his oar they began rowing again and the boat shot through the water the men had rowed their hardest all through the night and might have wanted a rest and a little food but this was better and they must take part in it and so they rowed with a will later in the day they saw behind them on the sea a number of masts following them had their flight been discovered had anyone noticed them stealing away or had they seen when petersonsa started Perhaps a boat had followed, thinking something must be going on, and others saw it and wondered what it was, and then several set out, and there were rumours of fish, then a commotion, and the whole avalanche of boats was let loose. There they came. There was smoke rising, steamers were coming too, and they had all the newest appliances, and drew in netfuls of riches of the sea. They had not had much opportunity for using them yet but now they would have a chance. They must have had a telegram, and they had telescopes. Who would get there first? First? They were passing all those boats behind and were coming on. They would soon pass the seal, too. This is a rich man on horseback. The boat fisherman is a slave who must pull his own cart. He must row and row and toil until his mouth fills with blood, but even then he arrives too late. The rich man can sit on a sofa in his cabin and eat a good meal, and still gets there first. The steamers had passed, leaving trails of smoke behind them in the air. A feeling of impotence oppressed the men rowing, but they kept on, and at midday they were still rowing. There was now a swarm of boats on all sides. They were stragglers that had come out from the nearest stations, but they rowed on the men on the seal were determined not to be left behind although they had rowed so long it became a race no one's hands were blistered but arndozan was spitting blood he began to complain but nobody listened to him they were gradually passing into the shadow of some high mountains at the mouth of a fjord here there was a forest of masts and a clamor of voices made itself heard what was it the thought darted through Kristaver's mind that if the shoal, followed by the whale, had gone in there, it could not come out again that way, for the fjord ended about thirty or forty miles in a mountain ravine. The clamour of voices grew louder, and Kristaver turned and looked ahead. What? What could be the meaning of this? A number of steamers had placed themselves like a chain across the mouth of the fjord and blocked the entrance it was impossible for the boats to go any farther, they were dammed up. As the seal approached, the clamour became a wild confusion of shouts and howls and abusive epithets from thousands of fishermen, and the shouting spread to boats that were still at the distance, rowing their hardest to get there in time. "'What's going on?' Christaver shouted to a boat that lay in front of him. The boats in front say that the water in the fjord is thick with cod, but the steamers are keeping the fishermen out. They want to have it all themselves. They've thrown out nets, and they won't let us in. In a moment Christaver was standing on the thwart, with his head thrown back and his hand upon the tiller. He had taken off his southwester some time during the previous night, and as Lars looked at his father standing there with his fair curly hair, He once more thought of Olaf Tryggvason. This was the Battle of Svolder. Row on, said Kristaver. They were already in the throng of boats, but were several stone throws from the steamers, where the uproar was greatest. The mouth of the fjord was not more than half a mile across, and the mountains on both sides were precipitous. There was a cloud of seabirds hovering within, rising and falling with wild cries. This enraged the fishermen. There was wealth in there, and they were shut out. The rich men were to have it all. The blowing of the whale could now be heard inside the fjord. The animal had turned and wanted to escape into the open, but saw the obstructing wall of steamers. This was a fresh terror, and it turned once more and went up the fjord again, blowing as it went. This made the fishermen still more excited there are riches in the path of the whale a roar came from thousands of voices fists were shaken and contorted faces looked up from hundreds of boats if you don't let us into the fjord we'll kill you not a soul was to be seen on the steamers the heavy iron hull simply lay there and blocked the way then on the one that lay right in front of the seal a gentleman in a fur coat appeared on the bridge with a fur cap and a red face unconcernedly smoking a long pipe the captain in oilskins came up beside him and he shouted you must be patient good people until we've emptied our nets first come first served go back to your banks this is ours there was a roar of derisive laughter yours is the fjord yours and is the fish in the sea yours ha 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 at this moment a well-known voice was heard far back in the crowd of boats at them boys the devil take them at them boys It was Jacob, who had already arrived and lay at the very back beside Peter Shussonza. His battle cry was repeated in wild chorus at them boys Pitch them into the sea at them boys At them cried Christaver, springing forward with an oar in his hand and leaping on to the boat in front where a father goes the son should follow and large was at his side in a moment carrying a boat-hook and after them came Cornelis, eleseus hylla and henry robben flourishing oars bailers, and gaffs in the air arnd osan thought someone ought to mind the boat and the next minute he was standing in the headman's place holding the tiller exactly as if all power and authority on the seal had been placed in his hands "'There was a sound of the heavy tramping of sea-boots moving forward from boat to boat. "'The weapons were not sharp, but they formed a forest that surged toward the steamers. "'Seize them! Seize them! Pitch them into the sea!' "'A steamer began to sound its steam-whistle, as if calling for help. "'The greater part of their crews were probably at the nets. "'The fishermen began to climb on board, and they had no mercy for those they captured.' The attack had been foreseen, however, and an engineer on a neighboring steamer turned a hose with boiling water upon the assailants. Scalded, blinded, with howls and cries and oaths, they dropped backward into the boats, and the deck of the steamer was cleared. The attack was repulsed, and the fishing, the busy ladling up of wealth from the sea, could be continued inside the fjord. Boats continued to come up, all with weary men who had rowed their hardest to get there in time. The rage spread, the fighting, the shouts and cries of scalded men increased their anger, and the newcomers leaped from boat to boat, shouting, Seize them! Pitch them into the sea! This time all the steamers were attacked at once, and those that were last pressed forward in their excitement in front of the others. Here and there an axe gleamed but the big men had prepared their defence and had hoses and quantities of boiling water in readiness, which they again turned upon their assailants. Once more the men fell back, several dropping into the sea and having to be pulled out, and there were renewed roars, howls, and cries. Colonel Liscomon was a compulsory service officer, and he now assumed the command. "'Attention!' he shouted. "'Fix bayonets!' and drawing his knife from its sheath, he lashed it with his sheath-strap to the end of an oar. Others did the same, and Cornelis shouted, Charge! Stick the pigs! Forward! Those who had been scalded were the most uncontrollable, and those of them who could still see dashed forward with their knives, wild, mad with pain and rage. They were met by the hoses, however, and the mountains echoed their yells the flocks of gulls began to gather above the boats, screaming, as if in expectation of booty. The gentleman in the fur coat still stood upon the bridge of his steamer, so sure of victory that he continued to smoke his long pipe with an expression of contentment. The captain by his side was directing the engineer with a hose. "'There,' he pointed, "'give them a shower. That's it.' The engineer was a thin man, and had his sleeves rolled up, leaving his tattooed arms bare. He was just turning the hose toward the point at which Jacob was advancing when a man suddenly appeared behind him. It was Cornelis who had swum under the steamer and come up on the other side. "'Look out!' shouted the captain, but before the engineer had time to turn he was felled to the deck by a fist holding a brass tobacco box. Canelis kicked him down into the hold, seized the hose and turned it full upon the two men on the bridge the man in the fur coat covered his face with his hands gave a yell and fell backward the captain swore and roared crouched down and rolled over the fishermen began storming the vessel while cannelas turned the hose on the engineer on the next steamer hooray he was leading the assault of a fortress he was a general The man received the jet full in his face, and he dropped the hose with a yell. The next moment his boat, too, was stormed by the men, and in less than no time all the steamers were in the hands of the fishermen. A few of the boats that were busy with the nets came hurriedly rowing up to their assistance, but it was too late. The gentleman in the fur coat had risen to his feet, and, keeping one hand before his face, made signs with the other "'and endeavoured to speak. "'Listen, men!' he cried. "'We'll let you in, but you must promise that you won't disturb our nets.' "'He might as well have spoken to the wind. "'He was seized by two angry men and thrown overboard, "'followed by the swearing, struggling skipper, "'and it was fortunate for them that their boats were near enough to pick them up. "'The same thing happened on all the steamers. "'The scalded, half-blinded men were mad with rage, and they threw captains ship-owners and engineers overboard and then swarmed down into the cabins where they smashed mirrors lamps bottles everything they could lay their hands on revenge revenge but it did not last long there was fishing in the fjord and there was wealth to the fishing to the fishing In a few minutes an opening was made in the chain of steamers, and the fishing fleet streamed in and dispersed over the fjord, farther and farther in. As they went, however, they caught sight of the steamers' nets surrounded by busy boats. They must get hold of those. That was how those big men grew rich. They emptied the sea in two or three casts of the net, so that nothing was left for the poor people. "'Seize them! Seize them!' There was such a multitude of fish in the nets that the surface of the water looked as if it was being lashed by heavy hail. But all over the fjord it was the same. Dorsal fins everywhere. The fjord was boiling. They were rowing in the fish. It was like a dream. Their eyes were bloodshot. Up went the oars. The enemy's boats were taken, and their men knocked down, and the fishermen took possession of the nets and cut and tore them into shreds. Only let the fish out. There was another net. The boats made for it, and the battle was continued. Now the whale returned once more down the fjord, blowing and spouting, and making the mountains tremble with its groans of terror. It had found no exit at the end of the fjord, and felt itself a captive. It drove the shoals of herring before it, without taking any notice of them only dashing wildly along to escape from the trap and reach the sea it raised billows as great as those of an ocean steamer it was followed by another and a silence fell upon the boats and they began to make for the shore in order to be out of the way then came a third but it was followed by its mortal enemy the grampus these slim pale blue hunters leaped out of the water and descending with a splash, seized a mouthful of the huge puffing mountain of flesh and leaped into the air again, delighted with their sport. Was it strange that the whale lost its wits? It darted through that part of the fishing fleet that had not got out of its way, making the boats rock and their crews cry out in alarm. A grampus leaped into the air and almost fell into a line boat, and the dark puffing mountain passed so close. "'that the men could have jumped onto its back. "'Now the whale was clear of the boats, but in front were the steamers. "'Was the fjord blocked at this end, too? "'The whale tried to turn, but the grampus was over it. "'It was as though its heart was in the grasp of death itself, "'and it took a senseless leap into the air. "'The huge body left the water and hovered for a moment in the air.' but it was heavy and descended again, where its persecutor awaited it with teeth like knives. For a moment the whale whirled round on the surface of the water, beside itself with terror. The water was churned into foam and spray, and its enemy tore piece after piece from its body, and the blood spurted out and reddened the grey water of the fjord. Then the whale dived down to the bottom, its tail giving a last swing in the air. The water seethed, and steamers at the mouth of the fjord were roughly shaken as the whale brushed beneath their keels on its way out to the sea. End of chapter 21